this weekend at the church, they've been doing a, a, a weekend that's themed around this idea of a passion for life. So they've been running a series of events tied around that theme. And today and this evening at the 6.30 service, what I want to do is I want to explore in detail what the Bible has to say about life. And so this morning we are going to look at one big topic that I guess dominates our lives, and it's this idea of satisfaction. What does Jesus have to say about humanity's quest to find contentment, to find lasting satisfaction, to have life in its absolute fullest? And that's a a huge question, because it's a quest that that we are all part of, and, and many of us struggle with it. Many of us could, uh, could join with Mick Jagger in singing, I can't get no satisfaction. Even the joys that we experience now in life, and in the back of our head, we know that they're not going to last. And it may surprise many of you, but I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is for your joy. Jesus is for your joy. He wants us to have a joy that does not run out and a a contentment that will last for all eternity. Jesus is all about giving humanity life to its fullest. Now, that's a big, bold claim, and there's no point of me trying to convince you of that. I want to look at what Jesus himself says. So, grab a Bible and open it to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 29 of this chapter. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. 
What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on, on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I have three points from this passage that, that I want us to notice. You'll see I've got them on the inside of your service sheet. Uh, they all begin with P. The minister of this church doesn't like three-point alliteration, uh, but he's not behind the lectern, so I'm going to go with it. Three things to see from this passage. In uh, looking at this question of, of how Jesus can give us satisfaction and life to the full, we need to see, first of all, the person that Jesus meets Secondly, the problem that Jesus addresses. And thirdly, the present that Jesus offers. Firstly then, the person that Jesus meets. Now this is hugely significant for understanding what is going on in John chapter 4. And we need a bit of context to, to understand why. You see, John wrote this gospel because he wants to convince his readers, that is, he wants to convince all of us here, that Jesus is both the divine Son of God and the Christ. That is God's chosen King come to rescue humanity. And that for John is the most important truth in the entire universe. And the reason it's so important to him is because it's only through believing that, it's only through believing in who Jesus is and what he did that we can have eternal life. It's an outrageous claim, but John wants us to be certain that it's true. That's why he wrote this gospel. And John has said that his analysis of this world that we live in is one in which he has said that we are a world that is in darkness. We're a world that is in rebellion against God. We're in a world that is severed from God, that is ignorant towards God. And God has sent His Son into this world, not to, to crush this rebellion, as we might think He would, but to save us, to save us from ourselves, to give us life. So John, chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, it's the gospel in a nutshell. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The reason we have this story here in John 4 
is to highlight a very important word from John 3.16, and it's the word whoever. Whoever believes in Jesus can have eternal life. Jesus is for all people. Just prior to to this chapter, Jesus sat down and and, uh, in a very similar fashion had a one-on-one conversation with a good religious man, a man named Nicodemus. Uh, And what was surprising, if you were to read that, is you would see that Jesus is saying that being good and being religious is not enough to save you. That is not enough to give you eternal life. You need a a radical transformation that only Jesus himself can give. But now in chapter 4, we are introduced to someone who is the complete opposite of a good religious man. And John puts them together. He puts them back to back because he wants to highlight that salvation is for whoever believes. Life is for whoever believes in Jesus. So let's just notice a few things about this woman. Firstly, notice the emphasis that John places on the woman's ethnicity. She is a Samaritan, not a Jew. Look at verse 4 there. Jesus is departing from Judah to a region called Galilee. Um, But in order to do that, he would have to have traveled through another region called Samaria. Now, what most Jews would do at this time is that they would take a long route uh, around this area to avoid having to go through it. Such was their disdain and their hatred for Samaritans. They really hated them. John even mentions it there for us in in verse 9. You see that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I mean, this is not like uh, the old firm. This is not like a Rangers Celtic fan divide or, or Jambos and Hybees. This is something way more extreme than that. The Samaritans were, were seen by the Jews as this spin-off cult from their religion. They were seen as unclean, irreligious people that were to be avoided. Second thing to notice about this woman, she's a woman. Now, we may be thinking, well, so what? Um, But what we need to understand is that the time that this was written was was a very patriarchal society, and women were seen as secondary to men. I mean, this is what made Jesus and the New Testament so radical at the time, was that it placed women and men of equal worth made in God's image. You can see this kind of wrong attitude here with the, with the disciples when they come back. You see in verse 27, they see Jesus with this woman. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So here we have someone who is a, a racial outsider, someone who is a, a, a gender outsider, and thirdly and perhaps most importantly, this woman's a moral outsider. Look at verse 6 and 7. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so that's midday. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, the timing of this encounter is very important. Um, This is the, the sixth hour. This is midday. This is when the sun is at its absolute hottest. And almost everyone in this culture would not have gone to a well at midday to get water. 
They would go in groups because it was quite dangerous, and they would go in the evening when it was nice and cool. But the fact that this woman is here to get water at midday by herself shows us that we have someone here who is a bit of a a social outcast. And as we read through Jesus' conversation, it becomes obvious why. In verse 18, we'll look at it in a bit more detail later, but in verse 18, Jesus exposes the fact that she is someone who has been married five times. And she's on boyfriend number six. Goodness knows what boyfriend number six was thinking, uh, being sixth in line. But even with our loose ethics today on marriage, that would be considered scandalous. But for this time, this would have been an absolute outrage. Everyone would have known about this woman in the small town that she was at. And so she is seen as someone who is a moral outsider, She is seen as someone who's who's an outsider because of her gender. She is seen as someone who's an outsider because of her ethnicity. She's the complete opposite of the man that Jesus sat down with in John chapter 3. And as she comes to this well, she sees a man, all hot and sweaty from the noonday sun. And this man does what probably no Jewish man had ever done to her before. He speaks to her. And what he said to her changed her life forever. You see, Jesus crosses all the barriers of culture, race, sex, and social class and speaks to a woman that nobody else wanted anything to do with. That is the Jesus who is presented to us in the Bible. Whoever, John says, whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. This is good news for whoever, regardless of whether you're here today and you think you're a good person or a bad person, regardless of whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you're an outsider or an insider. We are all far from God. We all need saved, and we are all freely offered what Jesus offers this woman at the well. Now, we need to see who she is so we can start to understand what Jesus is saying to her. Second thing we see here is the the problem that Jesus addresses. This is such a fascinating, unique conversation. I think it is the longest recorded one-on-one conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the entire Bible. I love the fact it's her. Conversation begins with him asking for a drink, and in verse 9, she can't believe that he would dare even speak to her. She must have heard his accent and recognized that that he was a Jewish man. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, look, if you really knew who I was, never mind this this Jew-Samaritan divide, if you knew me, if you knew who I am and what I can give you, I wouldn't be asking you for something, but you would be asking me for something. You would be asking me for living water. Now, sometimes, if you've ever read the Gospels, sometimes when you read what Jesus says, uh, it's quite obvious what he is meaning. Uh, Other times, his metaphors can be quite abstract, and and more often than not, especially in John's Gospel, uh, they go over people's heads. Uh, And evidently, this woman doesn't quite get what Jesus is saying, which is, to be honest, 
it's understandable. I mean, it's, it's a pretty confusing statement. That's why in verse 11, she's like, how can you give me living water? You don't, you don't even have a bucket. She doesn't get it. Who is this guy? Look at Jesus' response in verse 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. By the way, I'm from uh, Dundee, and I have a tendency to, to drop my T's in the middle of words, so I hope you know how hard it is for me to keep saying water and pronouncing that T there. Um, what's Jesus saying here? He's looking at, at the water in this well, and he's using it as an illustration of what he wants to offer this woman. Just think about what water is. It's the most essential need of humanity. It's the basis of, of life. So Jesus is claiming to be able to give this woman something that is essential for her life. But, but unlike the water of this well, it never leaves you thirsty again. And you see water for that person baking in the Middle Eastern sun at noontime is the most refreshing, satisfying thing you could possibly have. And so Jesus is looking at this woman and he's saying to her, you see, if you knew me, you would know that I can give you something that would satisfy the greatest longings in your life. And we're going to look at the detail of what exactly that is in a minute. But for now, we need to see that the problem that that this offer is addressing. You see, this woman has a thirst. She has a thirst in her soul, a thirst that is as real as the physical thirst for water, but it cannot ever be quenched by the things of this world. It's the, it's the thirst for satisfaction. It's the, the thirst for meaning. It's the, the thirst for purpose. It's the thirst for having life to the full, a life that, that will not be hindered by our own failures, a, a life that is not experiencing isolation or confusion that, that's not having to not know why we're here or, or where we're going. That's the problem he's addressing. You see, our pursuit of, of contentment and of joy is like a black hole. It's a thirst. And we see that in the goals that we pursue in life. If I can just have that relationship if I can get that success, if I can just succeed in my degree, if I, if I can climb the ladder in my job and get that promotion, if I can just earn a little bit more money, if I can have this perfect family, then my life will be complete. And it never is. And it's not that these things are bad. It's not that they won't give us happiness for a while, they will. It's just that they by themselves cannot quench the great longing that is in the human heart. Do you know, for many people, the loneliest moment in their life is when they achieve that which they thought would bring them the ultimate satisfaction. Why is it? Why is it that it's the most rich, the most famous, the most beautiful, that seem to be the most dissatisfied with life. 
It's not sufficient enough. It's not lasting enough. It's too temporal. At the end of the day, all your achievements are dust. Famous poet, Lord Byron, summed it up well. There is no joy that this world can give that it does not eventually take away. There is no joy this world can give that it will not eventually take away. And this woman has a thirst, and she's not quenching it. And do you see how Jesus exposes what that thirst is? Verse 16 is not a tangent. Look at what he says to her. Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Where does this woman try to quench her thirst for satisfaction? In men. Never a good idea. In men, in relationships. It's not working, and he knows it. It's not right, and he knows it. And she may try and and hide it from him, but you can never put up a veneer with Jesus. This is God in the flesh. This is the one that John says is the light of the world. He sees all the hidden crevices of darkness that we might successfully hide from others. But notice that he exposes this in her, not because he's being cruel or not because he's trying to embarrass her, Did you notice that that all throughout this conversation, what's Jesus like? He is gentle, he is patient, and he's not judgmental. That's the kind of savior that Jesus is. He exposes it in her so that she will see her thirst and her need for him because he holds the key to what she is looking for. This is a woman who has turned from the God who made her and placed a desire that ultimately only God can fulfill in these relationships. And he exposes the problem. And notice he says, call your husband, then come back to me. Many of us here will be followers of Jesus. And here's the question off the back of this passage. Is Jesus your ultimate satisfaction and contentment in life? Or do you feel that you need something more. If he's not, then you've, you've lost sight of who he is. Listen to these words from the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament of the Bible. And this is where Jesus got this whole idea of living water from. It's from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. This is God speaking. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, to turn from God to something else in this world for your ultimate satisfaction is to turn away from the never-ending fountain of all love and joy and to start lapping up the dregs of a broken cistern. What is it that you might be putting in place of what Jesus offers. Maybe Jesus is saying to some of you, go get it and come back to me. Come back to the living water that I can give. What exactly is this living water then? Third point on the sheet, the present that Jesus offers. You know, generally in life, the the way that we tend to 
to deal with this thirst for satisfaction, and it is there. It is interesting, on the, the American Declaration of Independence, it, it talks about man being free for the pursuit of happiness, implying that it's not something you just have, it's something you have to pursue. And generally, we, we try and deal with this by um, either trying to keep pursuing all these goals in life, even though they don't fulfill. We keep setting goals, and we keep pursuing them, and we keep chasing them. Or are we just hold up our hands and say, well, there is no meaning. There is no satisfaction in life. The, the, the approach of the, of the existentialist, it's all pointless anyway, and we just need to accept that. But the, the problem with that is that the thirst is real, whether you ignore it or not. And you see, Jesus' approach to this is so different. He wants to quench it for all eternity. The world can't give this, but Jesus can because Jesus gives living water. What is living water? Thankfully, John tells us. Turn forward to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Notice the, the invitation for anyone. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What's living water? Living water is having God's Holy Spirit in your lives. In other words, the gift that Jesus is offering to us is to be permanently connected to God by His Holy Spirit, to have God Himself living in us. It's to be one with the, the Creator, with the one who made us for Himself, you see, the reason we are dissatisfied, the reason that we do and we think and we say things that are, are wrong, the reason that there is brokenness in our lives is because we are severed from the fountain of all joy and peace and grace, which is God Himself. It flows from Him. The thirst is eternal because it's a thirst for Him. That's why there's nothing in this world that can quench it. But Jesus has come to fix that. He came to remove the sin that separates us from God and give us the Spirit that unites us to God. To have living water then is to have God Himself. And do you know what that means? It's been complete. It, it means knowing a love and an acceptance and, and a joy that is unlike anything else because it from him. And you know, I think this woman's I think this woman's starting to get it. See that question back in John 4. See that question that she asked in verse 20 and verse 19. Um, I used to think that she asked this question because she's she's quickly trying to, you know, change the subject of the awkward husband thing. But it's not, it's not at all. It's all tied into this. She's starting to, to see. Did you notice that Jesus is no longer just subdued to her? She calls him the prophet. He, there's something about this guy. And by the end of the conversation, he's no longer just a prophet. He is the Christ. 
And that question on worship, it's all tied up to this idea of of living water. She's asking, where's the place, Jesus? Where is the place? There's something about you. I can see that. Tell me, where's the place that I can connect with God? And Samaritans like her used to think it was on a special mountain, whereas the Jews thought it was in the temple in Jerusalem. And so Jesus' response to this question in verse 21 to 24 is one of the most remarkable responses in the Bible. He says to her, look, you Samaritans were wrong. Jesus doesn't flatter people. You were wrong in your idea of worship. Salvation comes from the Jews, not from you. But here's what you need to know now. Something is about to happen that's going to change all of that. No longer will will people need to go to a place to worship God. They will be able to worship God anywhere in spirit and in truth. So this lady, when she gets the living water that Jesus is offering her, she's going to be permanently connected to God. That means where is the special place that she goes to worship? Well, she is the special place now because she has God's Spirit and she has believed in truth. You see, satisfaction is not found in the pursuit of some selfish desires. Satisfaction is found in the humble worship of the God who is with us. Worship. Worship's not the slavish chore. It's this joy-filled contentment. You know what worship is? It's the joy-filled contentment of letting God be God in our lives and not thinking that we should be God or we should be the Savior. It's the overflow of praise that comes from knowing that you're secure in His love and grace for all eternity. You see, Jesus is wanting this woman to have joy, but real, lasting joy. C.S. Lewis used to say that the problem with humanity is not that we are pleasure seekers. The problem is we are far too easily pleased. This is the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy. Jesus is offering life to its full. He's offering reconciliation. He's offering permanent connection to God. And did you notice that in all of this, it's a gift? It's not something you or I or this woman deserves. None of us deserves this. This is the gift of God. So how can he give this gift so freely and so generously to sinners like you and me? You know, don't you, that the the greater the gift, the greater the cost. Well, in order to get the most precious gift in the universe, which has been brought back to God for all eternity, in order for us to get that, it cost God the most precious thing that he had. John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Notice in verse 21, Uh, Jesus talks about, in verse 23 as well, Jesus talks about this hour. This hour is coming when when all this is going to be made possible. This hour is coming where, where the Spirit of God will be poured out so you can be connected to God. And in John's gospel, that reference, that, that idea of this hour is a reference to one thing only, his death on the cross. What's the cross all about? It's not an execution. The cross is all about substitution. That's a good way of understanding it. Jesus steps into our place. He suffers God's anger for our wrong. 
And we in turn get his acceptance, his righteousness, his spirit. It's a substitution. And you know, that's why I think that it's no mistake that as John records for us the crucifixion of Jesus, there is one cry that, that John writes down that Jesus cried out on the cross. I thirst. I thirst. It's a substitution. Jesus thirsts so that we can be quenched. Jesus is abandoned so that we can be eternally accepted. Jesus is emptied out and suffers our torment so that we can be filled up and drink from the wellspring of love and joy. And do you see when you get that, that what he does, that this is the kind of savior that he is, that changes everything in your life. And in verse 25 of John 4, the woman says, she's touched by this conversation and she says, okay, I know that when the Messiah comes, I know that, that he'll make it clear. And Jesus says to her, don't you see? It's me. And her life is changed. She leaves behind her water jar, verse 28. Very important little detail. You know, the very thing that she came to get, she just leaves it behind. Why? So that she can run into the town and tell everyone what has just happened to her. Come, see a man that told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Do you know what she's saying there? Come see a man who looked into the darkest recess of my heart, who saw all my wrongdoings and failures, and yet invited me to be with him. See, this is a Savior that will not flatter us, but nor will he leave us. He exposes our sin, and yet he offers a gift that is so incredible that we cannot help but tell others about this man. That's what this weekend, all these events, that's what it's all about. Come and see this man, the Messiah. Come and, come and see. Come and worship. Come and drink and find life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the realism that we see in Jesus. This is not some two-dimensional figure of history. This is God in the flesh. Thank you for what we see here of his compassion and his kindness, of his grace as he crosses over all barriers that we would tend to put up, as he speaks to this woman, as he gently exposes her sins so that he can give her life so that he can give her living water. Father, I pray that we would drink and be quenched, that we would stop lapping up the salt water dregs that the temporary joys of this world give, and that we would find and seek for something greater, which only can be found in Jesus. Father, may we see the greatness of what he offers. May we comprehend the, the amazing gift that he gives of, of his spirit, of this idea of being free from all sin and connected to God for all eternity. 
May we see how wonderful that is and be overwhelmed with the the joy and the love and the grace that you have shown us. May we drink and be satisfied and may we find rest for our weary souls. In Jesus' name, amen.